It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Shane Bond, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Well, it's nice to be here, mate. A lifelong goal to have FaceTime with Shane Bond. It's not exactly how I imagined it when I was a younger man, but uh, I'm equally grateful to be in the presence of the great man, Mr. Shane Bond, beaming all the way from his lounge room in, where are you, New Zealand? Christchurch, yeah. Freezing my ass off in Christchurch, mate. A real thrill for our audience. Uh, we've had a number of other cricketers on the show. We've had people like Gavin Larson, Danny Morrison, uh, Ryan Harris, Chris Rogers, um, Farwad Ahmed, Peter Hatsoglu have been on the show as well. And uh, um, It's a real yeah. mixed bag, that bag, isn't it? Very mixed bag. <laughs> very mixed bag. And uh, I know you've had some interactions with a number of those guys as well, which we can talk about a little bit later. But the, the, where I'd love to start, Shane, is uh, going and doing the research for this interview, the comments on YouTube from the, the, the English as a second language commentators is some of the best material I've ever read in my life. And I'm going to read one of the particular quotes. It was just from an interview that you, you must have been in about 15 years ago. You are extraordinary. You will be illuminating me forever. Your speed is more than light. You are comparable only with you and nothing else. Your mighty presence always in the field we feel. It's pretty deep, isn't it? It's, 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 it's <laughs> this is the sentiment for, I'm not joking, literally thousands of comments for the videos that are on the internet, Shane. And I'm curious to know, what are some of your other favourite ones that you might have heard? Oh, look, you get, um, it's quite funny, isn't it? You, the, obviously, the James Bond theme comes out a lot, Bond, Shane Bond, and I still and I, and I still get that sort of stuff. It's always funny when people start mentioning how, how good you look or the, the, the state of your hair or stuff like that. I do find uh, that sort of stuff funny. I, I, I suppose on the other side of things, you... You know, being a sports fan myself, sports got that ability, hasn't it? To when you watch um, great players across any sport do certain things, that, that feeling uh, of uplifting you. You know, I'm watching the NBA finals at the moment with my son, who's a basketball fan, and you see some of the stuff that's on show there. And, you know, you're just in awe and, and it's inspiring to watch the best do what they do. So, look, if you've, if I've managed to, to touch people in that sort of way, Without really trying, you're just going out and doing your thing, aren't you? But if there's been uh, people watch or try to copy, or you know, have been inspired to play my game through watching me play, then that's that's probably one of the coolest compliments you could ever get. So it's 
any of those compliments, even if they're really funny, uh, are pretty cool. <laughs> well, I've got to say, I'd be lying if I if I said that I hadn't uh, emulated your action. And I know that you've influenced you know many people to bowl in that style, and and probably many. Um, uh, uh, stress fractures as a result as oh, yeah. well. <laughs> um, but you could, you got to take the good with the bad. And I, and I think um, uh, one of the things that I that I really loved about learning more about you, Shame, is that uh, in reading your book, which is called Looking Back, and it's a, it's a brilliant book. And for any cricket fan or any fan of Shane Bonner, I highly recommend you get out there and read this book. It's raw, it's authentic, and it's given me a really wonderful insight into you as a, as a sportsman, because I will be honest, Shane, I had periods in my life where I was angry at how often you would break down injury-wise. And and I'm just keen to explore that a little bit with you today. Are you able to explain a little bit more about what was going on? Oh, look, it's that's the, the nature of sport, isn't it? I, I was probably just as angry as what you were at, at certain times because you know, you, you, I've always been a believer is, you know, if you work really hard, then you'll, you'll, you'll sort of reap what you sow. And at sometimes it, you put that work in, it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee, I suppose what I've learned is it doesn't guarantee you success, but it's the starting point. You, you won't have any if you don't put that work in. Um, and then you just go, well, look, that's just the nature of the way it is. And the easy thing is just to be bitter and angry and grumpy and, and blame people. And uh, I just more took the attitude of you've just got to get back up and keep going, and keep going and, and battle on. So that's that's probably one of the things, despite having those setbacks over the course of my career, people just talk about, do you have regrets? Do you wish you'd played more more wickets? All that sort of stuff. It's like, well, at the end of the day, no, I'm not going to give a crap about how many wickets I got um, when I'm lying in my deathbed. I, I suppose the thing I look back on is, did I give it my best and did I love it? And I did. I loved it. I love playing with the people. I still love the game. I'm still involved in the game, still passionate about it. And to me, that's far more important than taking 100 test wickets, but being grumpy and angry and bitter and not having anything to do with it. So, yeah, mate, I mean, I never thought I'd ever play a game for New Zealand, even though I dreamed about it. So to play, I think I played 120 all up and got to play professionally for nine years at the top level. How, how can I be better? It was awesome. So, yeah, it's just – and you see it now with, you know, coaching kids and different athletes. Some are just like iron men and iron women and some others like me who are fragile for whatever reason and that's just life just sometimes it sucks <laughs> brother he um, yeah. uh, i think it was more around the um you know surely he could be doing more to prevent a lot of this stuff and and uh, having now learned a lot more about it i've got a huge appreciation for the work you put in and and it's not just you saying how much hard work you put in this is the this is the the sentiments that are echoed from everyone that really is interviewed and talks about you as well. And, uh, you know, even playing fourth grade at Melbourne University and going through a period of about four seasons where I missed half a season at a time, incredibly frustrating. So I can only imagine when you, when you, you know, your dinner depends on it as well. Yeah. That's the thing, mate, is, is you have to have the ability to shut out the, the press because, you know, I suppose that's where your confidence came from to be successful was the hard work. So when I played, I played pretty well. I think that was because I knew I'd worked hard enough to to sort of deserve some sort of success. At the same time, you know, you play two games and find yourself back on ACC over here and, you know, <laughs> if we be recovering again for another, th- three, another three months on the sideline. So, you know, it was bloody frus- frustrating. I, I suppose I was my own worst enemy when I was younger. I'd 
I didn't train hard enough. So I missed those sort of formative years from 17 to 21, where I was, you know, out partying a little bit too much and wasn't doing enough time on my fitness and got injured. And so I didn't have that real base of base of work. And so when I came back up, um, you know, I probably took more toll. I was bowling faster, took more toll on my body. But the only comparable person at the moment I looked at was sort of Pat Cummins, who had that talent, missed sort of four to five years, um, clearly a better athlete than what I was and worked a lot harder. And, you know, sort of people can forget now that Pat was injured for four to five years because he's had such a great run over the last three, four, five years. And it's been awesome. So take a lot of, um, you know, I watch someone like him who's an awesome bloke who's gone through something similar. It's, you know, you you do enjoy when someone like him comes on and has success because you sort of know how hard and frustrating it, it can be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the blessings of this podcast is I had uh, Professor Peter Bruckner on, who was the team doctor for the Australian cricket team for six years. I don't, I don't know whether you've had an opportunity to ever meet um, Peter, but he did a lot of work with Shane Watson and uh, through dietary intervention. And, and Shane attributes his extended career through the work that he did with um, Peter Bruckner. And even the era that you were playing, which was sort of a little bit before that at times, I think just the knowledge wasn't there and, and even you know playing uh premier cricket the throwing programs for warm-up only have come in the last uh 10 years if that uh and had we had that you know as young kids our shoulders might have lasted a bit longer as well so um yeah i, I really do empathize with that and i think given the circumstances shane you did phenomenally well uh one other really important fact about you that I didn't realize was this underdog mentality that you really disliked. Are you able to explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, um, you know, we certainly, we certainly, I don't think our New Zealand team um, back in the day, we were a really good team. We had some, when we were all fit, uh, which some of us weren't all the time, um, we had our best team out. I always felt like we were good enough to beat every everybody. You know, we weren't, we certainly weren't the Australian team who were, streets of everybody everybody else. But I think New Zealand always had that tag of sort of being the dark horse, the, you know, capable of upsets. And I and I hated that mentality. I was I was lucky to play in a, a Canterbury team here that was stacked full of internationals. Um, and we won a lot of trophies. Um, and you know, we 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 believed we, we were the best team and and took that approach to everything that we played. Yet when we stepped up those same a lot of those same players, we always talked about, you know, and the public talked about that underdog mentality. Whereas I, when I took the field, I, I just I always had this inner voice talking about that the other opposition was in fear of what I was what I was going to do, and you know I was going to go out there and I was going to dominate. And I wanted us as a group to sort of take that mentality that you know we we're not an underdog. We we are actually capable of winning tournaments, and and we're going to go about doing that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's watching now than the current New Zealand team. That's sort of getting pushed to the back burner now. Yeah, this team's made a couple of finals, won the Test Championship, and we're not here in New Zealand are the underdogs of the dark horse anymore. So um, that's that's cool. Yeah, I just think it gives you sort of a cop out. That's what I didn't like about it was the fact that you can um, you could lose a tournament and sort of oh we weren't expected to win anyway, you know. And if you did, it was a it was a massive surprise. I, I quite liked putting that expectation on your shoulders and and putting the pressure on yourself to go out and perform. And to me, that's part of being a an elite sportsman, you know, de- dealing with that pressure of expectation and then delivering on it. Yeah, and no, I, I really respect that <clears throat> as well, Shane. I, it's something that I've thought as well, and it maybe because I was 
I was born in New Zealand. My father's Australian, so I always had that that arrogant, uh, <laughs> the Australian arrogance somewhere in my DNA somewhere, and and I used to it used to piss me off a little bit. But I just love what's happening with uh, New Zealand sport at the moment, and particularly the cricket. You know, there's two there's two times in my life that I'll remember exactly where I was. It was nine eleven, and well, three. Yeah, times. I remember that. Yeah, nine eleven, the 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 final in 2019 that we lost to England. Yeah, yeah. In the World Test Championship final. What an absolute moment for for sport in general. Yeah, it was epic, mate. I remember those three places as well. So it's amazing how certain things. Um, stand out, out in your mind and, and those those things certainly do so yeah look uh, that, that's the that, that was probably the thing for me is um, you know you've just got to put your hand up and say look uh, and that was the thing when I coached the Thunder you know I, I had three years there and we had a, a roster that sort of started from scratch but everything around the language you use with the players is about winning we're, we're here to win we're going to win this competition you know we got to last year we 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 I think by that stage we genuinely believed we 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 should win or could win the tournament, and there was a genuine disappointment when we did it. And I think that's the that's what I want from my team is not that oh, we were happy we got third. It's no, we're disappointed we didn't win. And I think you can still have both, but you want the bar set high and be striving for trying to take players as a coach, where perhaps and as a player and as a team, where they don't really really think they can get to. But I think that you know you're trying to see that stuff within them. And I think that was this. That's how I did it as a player, and that's what I I liked from the players around me. Well, speaking of uh, remembering where we were, your debut in the one day as was uh, at the MCG against the Australian <clears throat> team. Do you do you remember that moment very well before you bowled your first ball? Yeah, the the thing that stands out from from my memories of that game was how long I thought the MCG pitch was. Obviously, you're in this coliseum and standing out there was unreal. And I just thought, God, the pitch seems about 35 metres. It just seems so long. <laughs> and then I remember I over Ricky whacking me into the crowd, this massive pull shot for six, and thinking, my God, this is this is a little this is getting real now. But um, yeah, the noise, the noise of the place, you know, and I, I think that was the beauty, I think, of making a, a debut tour of Australia is I'd watched, I'd grown up watching World Series cricket, benches and hedges, whatever it was back then, when all the smoking companies were sponsoring everything. Um, and we were, we, I watched it and just loved watching that cricket. You know, the tri series was sort of part of what you what you watched in summer, and New Zealand had always come over. And you know, there's the underarm and Kenzie six sixes, and you know, I think Chris Pringle bowling the the game, the maiden, the last over. So they're a little. We we hadn't had a lot of success, but there were some cool moments. And then you're sort of standing out there in the middle in this series thinking, shit, I've watched this my whole life, and here I am, I'm, I'm amongst it. It was just awesome, you know, and every crowd you went to, you just cop stick, and every ground, it was like a tick. I'm, I've played on the MCG or I've played on the SCG, and it was just it was just this fantastic time, and it didn't matter what the result was. I, I just loved every minute of it, and I suppose, thankfully for me, I had a little bit of luck and bowled a few good balls in the, the whole the, that whole series was just a was sort of a, a whirlwind and a dream and kickstarted my career. So, yeah, a lot of fond memories. Yeah, other things I remember: the flags blowing one way up the top and then the but in the middle blowing the other way. They were the two things that stood out <laughs> in the length of the pitch. It was weird. <laughs> it's an imposing venue and and uh, so many amazing cricketing memories as well. And um, I think the way that the world's heading now, like. I don't know that we'll ever be able to experience the same types of atmosphere or the the rowdiness that once was, you know, the, the debaucherous Bay 13 area and all the other crazy stuff that you would have had probably been on the tail end of, I suppose, with your career. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing. When I remember even the test matches before that series, you know, everyone meh and copping stick down on the sideline and stuff getting pelted at you at the ECG. And, you know, I hadn't, haven't been a police officer. I'm used to that sort of abuse and stuff getting hurled at you. So I saw everything, whether it was sledging or stick that you were copping from the crowd. It's just stories I can go back and tell my mates as we're sitting around having a drink together. So it was all awesome. So it didn't really bother me. But as I said, you'd seen that sort of stuff with Big Merv doing his stretches in the crowd behind you. And when you're doing that sort of stuff yourself with crowds, it's, yeah, it's cool. Well, that's a little known fact about you as well, Shane. You were a police officer in the New Zealand police force there. And uh, I don't know how long that career lasted for you, able to fill us in. Yeah, three years. It was something I always wanted to do, mate, when I was growing up. I, since I was probably 12, 13, I, I, it was, that was the thing I thought that what I'd do is I'd um, – I play cricket. I was going to play cricket for New Zealand, which in the end I thought, well, this is never going to pan out. And then after I finished cricket, because it was an amateur game back then, um, I'm going to be a cop, and that's that's what I wanted to do. So in the end, it flipped. I thought, well, I'm never going to make it as a cricketer, so I'll I'll, I'll go down the path of trying to do the other do the do the other job. And you know, went through the process. Was playing some league cricket in England. Got accepted. Um, came back, did my training over a summer, and did three years in the job, and loved it. it was awesome. Um, so yeah, sort of re- rekindled my passion for cricket because you know, I realised how much I missed it when I was fit but not playing. And the police had pretty good holidays, so I could sort of work all winter and and then play games and first class games over the summer. Um, and then yeah, so in the end, you know, cricket became a career. I gave up on the police and had to find something else to do once <laughs> once cricket my cricket playing career finished. You went from uh, pepper spraying uh, your opponents to just peppering them with short bounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember doing uh, being on the like having the big, big, uh, knock, big knocking thing and knocking over front doors of gang pads and doing all this sort of stuff. It was it was pretty intense, and you know your car chases and knocking people over in the because I worked in the middle of town in Christchurch, so every Friday, Saturday night, you'd be amongst it. So. There's a lot of good work stories and it was a lot of fun. I met some great people and I'm still involved now with people who I worked with in the police. You know, I've got one of my mates whose daughter plays um, hockey with my daughter. So you sort of got this connection of different people who are in and out of the police force around town, but it was a great job. And uh, I think it was one of those jobs where you, you are put under pressure and you're under extreme stress. And I think that really helped me when I, when I made it for New Zealand. You were sort of used to coping with it, used to bluffing, finding a way through it. I think that's a, that's probably the key to success at the top level in sport is, is up here and, and that the job certainly prepared me for it. Well, you talk about in the, in, in the book as well, Shane, and uh, I have absolutely no doubt that that was a huge catalyst. And, and it's funny that you ended up as a cop because you weren't always a, a, a nice guy, which is what you've been labelled, because you were somewhat of a bastard when you were a little kid and you even got expelled from kindergarten. Yeah, I think I... Um... Mum said it was a different time back then. Mum talked about it, said, you know, she had housewife 23 hours, you know, basically a day or 20, outside of one day, uh, one hour a week, you know, every everything was at home. She stayed at home. You know, my parents had one car. My dad went to work. Mum just had me bored probably out of my mind. Um, so what do bored kids do? They, you know, they get into trouble. It's probably the combination of that and food colouring. And when I had that, I just went, off my rocker and then my sister came along and I hated her because she stole my thunder and it was sort of this 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 this, this firestorm of everything that could possibly go wrong as a as a parent I, I was it and 
um, yeah, I was a nightmare. Just did whole lots of different stuff, you know, tipped all oil over my dad's car. I'd stick food into heating grates. You know, I was just, you know, took my pants off and crapped in the car because they wouldn't let me out. Just, I was, I was hideous. And, you know, I, I finally got to school and got my mind got stimulated. And within three weeks, mum said I was, you know, I was an angel. I was busy. I was, I was occupied and away. And I was an angel at school probably for the rest of my school day. So, yeah, I suppose that's the thing you learn having kids myself is you've got to keep them occupied and busy and engaged. Otherwise, they, 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 they can cause all sorts of carnage. Have you uh, manifested uh, any of those miniature Shanes in any of the three of your own children? Oh, yeah, my son, who who was very, very quiet. He's sort of like me, but, um, you know, through these wild tantrums when he was younger. So he's I had a hole. We've covered one of his doors with a mirror at home because it's got holes in it. And then the end when he was about four, we put a boxing bag in his room so that when he <laughs> lost it, he could punch, he could punch the boxing bag. So thankfully he settled down now. But yeah, there were there were shades of me and him, I think. You've your father, you uh, you write about in the book, Shane, um, who had a huge influence in your in your life in terms of getting you into the great game of cricket. Um, the book was written at least 10 plus years ago, I think. And and I'm curious to know whether you're happy to answer this question. Have you been able to patch things up with your father? No, I haven't. So, yeah, there was probably about four or five years ago, you know, he had a heart attack. So I thought, well, look, I'll reach out and um, engage that, have that conversation again. So so did. Um, and it was okay. And then uh, sort of I sort of hit the road and didn't hear from him again for six months. And so I thought that was a, a reasonably poor form. So... Look, there was, there's been ongoing stuff. So, the, the, and the short answer is no. We we certainly haven't mended that relationship. It's been ten years really now since I've had too much to do with him. Probably longer actually. I think it was just before my daughter was born in two thousand and four. So that's what third seventeen years now. That's uh, pretty much that's when we cut off. So it's a it's a long time. And it's like um, as you can appreciate as as you get older, you you tolerate less bullshit. You you don't want people around you who you know, you you waste energy on. You just want to be around people who make you happy, who engage you, who you know treat you with respect, and you you, you enjoy their company. And my father's just not one of those people. So um, I'm lucky. I've got my wife's family and a whole my sister, my mum, a whole lot of mates and other family around. That's more than enough for me. So yeah, it's it's sad, but look, it happens. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm <clears> sorry to hear that. And, and the reason I bring it up is through my own journey, Shane, uh, of and of late as well. My uh, my father, who you might even remember, um, who was a, a radio announcer in Christchurch, he was on Radio Avon and C ninety three and B ninety eight, and uh, you know, Rick, ridiculous was his name. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, I yeah, do. Like, he's, yeah. he's a, he was a personality in New Zealand, and and his health has declined a lot over the years. He's living over here now, and and him and I have had two major uh, arguments, the worst that we've ever had, and we've always had pretty good relationships and they stem around uh, me incorrectly trying to change him and I've realized that that was my fault I can't change people just got to try and lead by example but off the back of a a huge argument uh, recently I said some really horrible shitty things to him Um, I reached out to a guy Dr. Fred Luskin who um, wrote a book Forgive for Good and and the reason I bring it bring it up is because um, even though I was the one that did the damage, I still felt aggrieved from the way that my <clears throat> father treated me, right? 
And all he was doing is just living his life and not wanting to change, right? Yeah. And but the book and the interview with Fred was uh, was really eye opening for me because it, the act of forgiveness. Uh, and I'm not sure how much work you've done on this at all, but it was it was about being able to set me free uh, so that I don't have to invest any more energy on it. I can only empathize with the you know not having you, your father and your kids' lives as well and I, and and I've thought about that a lot. I don't have kids yet, but we're working on it and but his book uh, forgive for, forgive for good he's a Stanford um, professor and created the Stanford Forgiveness Project. And he's been able to to work with IRA victims, people whose families were killed in bomb blasts in Ireland, and they've been able to hug mums who have had their children run over by drunk drivers and forgiven the drunk driver, and and even uh, Jewish Auschwitz survivors who have forgiven the camp commanders. Jesus. And, uh, and we're, we're talking about serious levels of forgiveness because it's not about absolving the person of their wrongdoing. It's about being able to let it go from here and being able to move on with your life and not invest any more energy on that. Do you, have you, are you familiar with any of these concepts or done any work on this? I'm not, mate, but that's probably the big thing for me is you know, having done that re-engagement, like it's never, it's not about, as you said, it's not about me being bitter now. I've never been overly bitter about it, so I just go about my life. So I've made the conscious decision just I just don't want this person in my life and he can do whatever he wants and we've re- we I re-engaged it didn't work out it's okay so as I said I don't carry this underlying bitterness uh, around with me about it it just is what it is so I suppose it's, it's I'm lucky that I've got so many other great elements in my life it's you don't miss it my my kids don't miss it because the same they've got so many other great people in their lives they they don't know any different um, so yeah and from that from that let's say it's sad it's sad that it's I, I almost feel pity for him because he's missed so much. I mean, I've got three kids. My sister's got a couple. He's, that's through his own choice to disengage us, he's missed out. He's got his own life and a different family now. But, yeah, in the end, I, I yeah, there's some things you certainly can't waste energy on, can you? And, and I don't waste any, any energy on that. Yeah, and I think it's an important distinction to, to know <clears throat> as well. Like all of the most successful you know, self-developed people in the world are really good at setting clear boundaries, and and that includes leaving family out. You know, mm. just because that you are related to them doesn't mean you have to have anything to do with them. And I think um, what you've done is is very admirable, and uh, and I'm and I'm happy that you know you you're able to move on with things because um, you can't pick your family, Shane. Yeah, uh, it's really hard, eh? Because you you still have friends and stuff who are dealing with family members who take them for granted or use them or just treat them like shit and you you know from someone who's obviously i don't have anything to do you people will whinge about it but tolerate it and i think there's there's there is a point where that sort of behavior you just can't tolerate that because they're miserable and it brings them down and it's that's i think one thing you're going to get one shot at this don't you you don't want to be spent at being miserable or worried about um you know trying to appease someone else if it's if it's to your own detriment yeah a hundred percent and i suppose um, given given the the experiences over your your life and your career with the injuries and the and you know when the press turn on you and and dealing with your dad and all this other stuff the resilience that you that you've spoken about developing what are some some tips or some ideas that you can share with people that might be doing it real tough right now? Well, it's a it's a it's a tough question. I I certainly think I've hardened. Um, and that's a range of those experiences. Obviously, the job that I did, the police, when you 
I mean, that's a big one for me because you, you know, when when I went to that job, I, I had a very you know humble working class background. You know, I, I wasn't exposed to too much of the, the the bad stuff in life, and sort of just had this sort of I don't know if you'd say it was rose tinted, but you know, I had a a, a pretty rose tinted look at the at the world, and then you go into a job where you see the twenty percent of just know scum really of the of of society and deal with people who will lie want to hurt you and you see some stuff and death and all that and deal with you know from from a range of from old people to car wrecks to babies you know dying on the operating table to all that you you deal with that in the police and when you're dealing with that on a day-to-day basis you know it certainly steals you um and can uh, in some respects make you a little bit of a cynic i think i got out before i became a real cynic because i still think i'm a, a reasonably positive and trusting person but it certainly builds up a level of of tolerance uh, in terms of the other stuff i remember do, looking at investing into a dna company when it was on the outskirts and they did a test on me and one thing they that came out was i was a low very low chance of mental illness which which was which was interesting for me. It said I was high on chance of getting back injuries, low on mental illness, and, I've, and <laughs> which was ironic, you know. And talked about you know the effects of training and on weight loss and all that sort of stuff, which I I found it really fascinating. But you know, like mentally, I've never really felt. I don't think I've ever felt depression, so it's hard for me to comprehend that because I've never really felt really down, even things when things have been tough and stressful. Um, so what are the what are the tips? It's really hard if you if you've never been in that space to offer tips for people in that in that space. I, I, the only thing you can do is, as I said, you you get I get one chance um, at this life, and so I've got to make the absolute most of it. And it's like like having an injury; you just pick yourself up, don't dwell on it, and you get yourself on that path to what's what's my next thing? What am I? What do I? What are the goals or the things I'm trying to? achieve and I and it's no different in sport and life you know what what are the things I want to achieve in life I want to give my kids a good life I want to I want to travel with my wife when I you know when the kids leave home I want to you know these things that we've set out that you just work towards and if you have those 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 sort of focal things those things you're looking to that sort of can keep you on a pathway it's it's when you don't have anything to aim for or to live for it's when things can get um can get tough because you can drift you know, and you can sort of wallow in the stuff that can drag you down. So I think having having some goals, whether massive or just something that you're looking forward to, things to look forward to, I think are really important. For me, travel's always been one. I look forward to going away. I look forward to holidays. It gives me something to work towards. gives me time with the people I care about. Um, and that, that they're the little things that we do to, to keep ourselves connected and happy. It's a really interesting response, Shane, and uh, and an incredibly humble one. I think um, what you probably won't realise is that despite growing up in a, in a rose-tinted sort of environment, you probably went through more than you realise. And um, an important distinction is to to never compare ourselves to anyone else apart from the person we were the day previous. And, um, I, you know, I think people will really benefit from looking at, at life through that, that lens with those comments. So I really appreciate that and, and thank you for sharing that with us. You, your wife, uh, Tracy? Yep. Um, how long have you guys been together now? No, she's just standing over here, actually. I'm looking at her now. Uh, Trace, Trace, we're coming up to our 20th wedding anniversary this year. So we, uh, we connected, I think, when I was 20 and I'm now 46. So it's been... She's a long time putting up with me. So, um, 
Yeah, we, we, we were in the year nine at school together, which is third form back in the day. First year at high school, we ended up in each other's class and went through school together and then both headed off to teacher's college. Trace is a primary teacher. I wanted to go down the path of being a PE teacher. Realised within a year that I didn't want to be a PE teacher anymore. It was just, I was too young and dumb and that was not, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to do. Um, and then we reconnected a year later after that just at a friend's place. So yeah, we've known each other for a long time. We've got photos on the wall down our hallway of us in the third form class and you know, last year at school, um, that's that's pretty cool, you know. So, yeah, it's been a long time. Well, the, the reason I bring it up is I'm curious to know how important is having the right life partner in as part of your overall success in life? Oh, it's really important. I think, you know, my job's been uh, unique. I, I mean, we worked, we did a job together, actually. When I came, we went over to England together before we got engaged. But before that, we'd worked at foodstuffs. So we'd sort of packed orders, done shed, worked in the supermarket area, and I'd been out the back. Uh, we went to England together. I played league cricket. She worked at McDonald's, you know, earning bloody three pounds an hour. And I was earning 100 pounds a week playing cricket. We saved up and traveled around Europe. And so then we came back and she did her teaching. I was a policeman. So I've, already, all, I've never really worked a nine to five together. I shift work before I went into this lifestyle that I've had now for the last. 20 years where I've you know been away for three months at a time home and and then in and around that she's had to deal with you know three kids who are you know three under five and dealing with that when I'm not at home so I wouldn't have been able to do all of that and still um, doing the stuff that I'm been doing I think I've just got back from being away for 10 months and having three weeks at home in that 10 months without her being able to hold the fort and cooking for the kids every day and running them around I do. I come home and do it for a day, and it just about drives me nuts. And for her to be able to do that for an extended period of time, uh, without me being around with teenage kids who can, you know, drive anyone nuts, is uh, just it makes it so much easier. So she probably knows no different anyway. But if to have someone who, when you're having it really hard, understands what you're going through, can support you through that is critical. And and, and I see it now from the coaching perspective when guys come can come in and they're and they come into the lifestyle of being a cricketer and they're away for those extended periods of time and they have a partner and if they haven't been doing that and they've or the partner hasn't been and, and it's so unusual and both parties can really struggle with that time away whereas we've always looked at it as being good for our relationship when you go away I really appreciate the stuff that she's done um, and you miss each other and it's sort of you know re-sparks everything so well, we're used to it but she's yeah she's a legend. Well, congratulations on the anniversary. Twenty years is a phenomenal effort. I don't know what the um, what the jewellery is that you're supposed to buy. Apparently, it's platinum. I think that's what that's what I'm. I'll just have to see whether I get to something nice. She's giving me the fingers now, so yeah. <laughs> well, I think India is a really great place to get uh, some precious metals, and that's where you're going to be heading back pretty soon. Oh, I'm going to the UAE actually, so gold's probably the one that I could. If, I was, if I'm allowed out and about, I could perhaps go and get some platinum or gold because I think it's reasonably cheap over there. So, yeah, so uh, I'll miss it. I'll miss it. I, I mean, it's the, my daughter, actually. My, my I've got two daughters. The middle one, who's number two of our three, said to me, I, hadn't been, I haven't been part or been around for her birthday for six years because I've been away. So wow. I, I suppose that's the thing. You know, I'm missing another wedding anniversary this year. I, haven't, I don't think I've been around for my wife's birthday for six or seven years because it falls in the middle of the IPL, and I haven't, I haven't seen my other daughter's birthday for six years. So that's the, that's the other side of the, of the job. I love my job, but you do miss some of those milestones, um, which, which can be challenging. 
Well, let's talk about that. So what have you got going on in the world cricket-wise at the moment? What are you involved with? Well, waiting to go back to, to now the UAE to finish off the IPL, so it's always awesome. Um, I'm doing some work at home. I, that's one of the things I've really wanted to do and focused on in the last year or two is do, trying to do some coach mentoring. <clears throat> I like working with New Zealand cricket, particularly with the players, obviously the, the top-level guys who I still have a relationship, but I've been part of a winter squad here for sort of 10 years since I finished, and that's the next level up, who are next level below, who are going to come on and play. So, you know, when I started with that program, it was the Doug Bracewalls, the Adam Milnes, these sort of guys. And, you know, I've been part of that program, the Kyle Jamesons, the Tom Blundells, these sort of players have come through. So you've got a relationship across all the players in New Zealand, done a little bit of work with the women's team. Um, but I've pulled back a little bit. I was going to go to the 100 pulled out because of the obviously the the quarantine stuff's pretty challenging and I really I was really keen to do a continue on with the thunder because the last three years have been fantastic there um but again my my daughter's got a year left at school my son's got a potential to have a reasonably big cricket season and you just have to make some choices and those choices are even though they're tough are reasonably easy because you want to spend that time doing the family stuff so the from a cricket side of thing it's reasonably quiet year and once my um my girls head off, which is only a year or two away, and Ryan hits high school next year. Then I'll hopefully get back over to Australia and do some more big bash stuff. It's I love coming Aussie, and it's an awesome competition. So yeah, hopefully I'll get another chance to do that. Brilliant. Can we expect any of the Bond second generation to uh, be donning the the black cap anytime soon? <laughs> Not my girls. They're doing hockey and water polo and other stuff. But my son loves his cricket. Um, he's a good wee player. So. Yeah, I mean, he that's what he wants to do. He wants to play cricket. And I, th- I suppose from my perspective, it's, it's a great chance to connect. You know, we go down to the nets, I throw balls at him, it's balls. He listens to what I have to say, which is pretty cool. Sometimes kids, you know, this might be the only time they listen to you, but there's a real connection for us there. You know, he loves the game and he's got to experience some pretty cool stuff being in our change room at Sydney. And, you know, the guys from IP, IPL give him a shirt or send him a video message. So, you know, he, there's a real passion for him for the game and, and we share that and you know, it's like anything now, you just hope that he goes on and whatever level he meets, but he loves the game and hangs out with his mates and has a great time and, he, and he's certainly doing that, which is really cool. I've got a weird theory that I've I've been thinking about for a few years, Shane, and I'm keen to run, run it past you and see what your thoughts are. If you took, let's say, your son as a five-year-old boy and just ensconced him in the black caps as a as a player and and developed him and let's assume that uh he was physically able there was no issues with that do you think that just by sheer osmosis that that child would then become world class at cricket i don't know that's that's really hard but i mean he's clearly got his own idols you know, big through the players he watches. He tries to bet like Kane Williamson. You can just see the elements of who he's that's a pretty good person to try and mimic with the yeah. with the bat. And there's little elements of me with the ball through obviously through DNA. You can see elements of my own action and and that's cool to watch. Um, but there's the thing you can't account for is your headspace. You know, because you can have all the talent in the world, but how you cope with the pressure of um, success, failure, the sort of person you want to be you know, the drive to get out and do, as I talked to him about, you know, um, the drive to get fit, the drive to push yourself past where you think you can go is that's all part of being a, a successful 
um, athlete at that level. Now, you're going to learn that as you go along, but I'll talk to my son about, right, we're going to go and do swimming once a week, and he doesn't really like it. But I said, look, that's the reality. You've got to stay fit. You've got to stay healthy. These are the things that are going to not only good life skills, but are going to put you in good stead for your, for your cricket. And then you, you sort of want them to fail, even though it sucks that they fail, but you need them to fail and have the ability to bounce back and, and do those sort of things. So, yeah, in the end, you, what you want them to do, though, is be a good teammate and enjoy the game and things that are, you know, I want to coach his team this year. He's got some spend more time. So things like not throwing the bat and not throwing tantrums and <laughs> those sort of things are important. You know, I think those sort of things are massive because – even though cricket can be very individual, it's a team game. And um, the way you react to your own success and failures around your team can talk a lot about you as a person. So they're the conversations I'm having that I find are more probably important that, you know, him recognising what a good teammate looks like and how he holds himself and behaves and is, yeah, and I suppose that's leadership stuff as well. Um, and that's fun. They're, they're cool conversations outside of the, the cricket side and watching him do well. And, and that as a parent's always pretty cool. Well, it's, uh, I love that, Shane, and, and um, what's happening in Australia, at least, I'm sure it's, it'll be not far away if it's not happening already in New Zealand. With the, um, with the rules around dissent, uh, you basically can't do anything without getting pinged for a couple of games, even at a premier level over here. Um, one of the last games that I played uh, as, as a 40-year-old captain of, like, between 15 to 19-year-olds, I was fielding it long on. And uh, we were just having a disaster day. And because my voice projects really well, I remember dropping a huge F-bomb. And I'm normally really disciplined. It was downwind. The umpires who had known me for years were really disappointed uh, at this use of language. But um, you just can't get away with anything these days. Um, And had there been another game, I would have been pinged for a game. So, uh, yeah, it's a really important distinction. Um, Shane, I have to ask this because if I don't ask this, people are going to kill me. I, I would really love for you to re recreate your favourite cricketing memory as a player in the Black Caps. Oh, as a player, um, I think one of my favourite one of my favourite moments was we we and we talked about one of the mantras when I came into the Black Caps was better than before. So that was that was started by Gilbert Anoko. He ended up being the GM for the All Blacks. He, he may still well be, and he's been a big part of their sort of success over the last ten years. Um, so under Steve Fleming with Gilbert, it was better than before, and we talked a lot about uh, breaking and doing things and creating history. Uh, they, you know, I think the New Zealand team won at ninety nine at Lords. And one of the one things that we hadn't done was win a, win a test match in the West Indies. So, you know, we went to Kensington Oval and um, we won a test match at Kensington Oval in four days. And I remember um, bowling Brian Lara, he was the second to last wicket, I think. And then the next ball, I got the last wicket to win that test match. And that feeling of having done, done something that no other team had done before and won a test match over there, you know, after teams had gone over there and just got hammered um, was, was awesome, you know. And I think they're the... They're the special moments is when you have a team performance that creates history or wins something tight or does something special, and that was a real standout. I get uh, shivers down my spine <clears throat> thinking about it. Uh, you, you're bringing back some amazing memories and because um, I've gone through so much footage. <laughs> There's so yeah. many thousands of videos in in pretty poor quality because the, the technology has evolved so, so much over the last sort of 15 years. Uh Shane, if people want to learn more about you, uh, can they find you anywhere on social media and, and uh, where can they find your book? 
Oh, I don't know. Probably the bargain bin would be where they find my book, <laughs> or or in the sleep section. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's still out there. Social media wise, mate, I, I try. I, I'm not. A, I don't. You. I use Instagram, Twitter, and and Facebook. Facebook. I, I was off Facebook and used it after the earthquakes to reconnect to make sure my friends were safe and and really and and to store photos from holidays when we go away. And, and Instagram is just really to monitor my kids <laughs> to make sure they're up to no good. And Twitter just to follow what the news is. So I don't really, but I don't post on those things. You know, I try to get my kids off a little bit. Um, yeah, look, mo- I'm on LinkedIn and, and I get a lot of connections through LinkedIn and stuff as well. Um, or I'm, people will find me, I'm sure, on Messenger. Like, like I've had a lot of people sort of find me on Facebook and drop me a message and ask me to do stuff. And if, I've always said, if people are willing to go out of their way to make a connection and want to do things like this, I'm 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 more than happy to help. So, yeah, yeah well, I, I'm there, and and, I, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm on I'm, I'm I'm on Twitter and Instagram. So, look, you can message me through there, and I will respond to people if they do. A true gentleman. Well, you're under no obligation <laughs> to uh, social media presence, and you're probably better off not having one, if I'm honest. Um, but uh, do you have any? Concluding thoughts for our audience today, Shane. Concluding thoughts. No, look, um, it's hard to know what sort of audience and what they're interested. In. Look, I, I think the one thing I've thought about a lot as you as you get older is that that notion of just being grateful, isn't it? You know, you. I think as people, you there's a tendency to be jealous um, of others. You know, that you see what someone else has got and you want a piece of that. And sometimes it's easy to forget the. The good things around you, or what you've done, or what you've gotten, um, and more importantly, the people you've got around you. So, just trying to spend a little bit more time being grateful that yeah, I'd love a bigger house or a faster car or a nicer set of jeans, but actually, what I've got's not too bad. And um, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm as I said, when I'm on my deathbed, I think those things aren't going to be that important to me. So, just appreciating the good people around me. It's, um, that, that's what I'm trying to spend a little bit more time thinking about. <clears throat> there it is ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Jane Bond <laughs> it's Laban Ditchburn and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast the reason for this message was this if you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world I want to make something available to you Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training where I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.